All right, so today we're starting a brand new series. You came on a perfect day. The series is called Simply Faith. And I want to start out by asking you to participate a little bit. You don't have to raise your hand or say anything, but just think about how you would complete or fill in this blank in this statement. If I had more faith, blank would happen. What would happen in your life if you just had more faith? And you might think, think things like, well, uh, we would get better financially if I just had more faith. I would get the girl if I would just have more faith. Or maybe attract the guy's attention if I just had more faith. Or things would be better for me physically if I just had more faith. Or things would work out relationally if I just had more faith. All of us would have something to put in that blank. How many times have you heard a story where something worked out in somebody's life? And they attribute it to, hey, we prayed and God just worked this out in our life and now things are okay financially, things are okay physically. We figured out what we're going to do career-wise because we prayed and God answered. Or we finally started a family or we finally got the job we always wanted. And when I hear people talk like that, I think to myself, well, that doesn't always happen for me. And you probably think the same thing. And it sounds romantic to think, I'm just going to pray and ask God, and he's going to deliver, and he's going to give, and, and, and for some people are going to get it, and some people aren't. And the only problem is, that's not the biblical definition of faith. That's a misunderstood definition of faith. In fact, a lot of people, even people that have grown up going to church, have been taught a misrepresentation of what faith really is. Now, a lot of people live with this first kind of faith, this, this what I'm going to call circumstantial faith, where their faith is based on their circumstances, what's going on in their life, maybe the way your parents are raising you, that's why your faith is the way it is. That's why those of us who have kids that are college age or even going into elementary school for the first time, we're starting to worry a little bit because we think, okay, the, what I've given them, is it just circumstantial faith because like they happen to be in the home of somebody who's a believer? Is that why they're the way they are? And then when their circumstances change, their faith will just go out the window? It was because of that when our girls were small that my wife, we had two girls, my wife uh, went on every school trip with them. Like I did, we did not let them go on a school field trip without Cinda chaperoning it because I knew some of the parents. And I was like, you're not going to chaperone my child. Because some of their attitude was, well, you know, kids will just be kids. And I'm like, well, not mine. <laughs> not with my wife around, that ain't going to happen. And so we all think, well, we don't want our kids to go to school, develop the wrong friends, or maybe when they go off to college, they totally leave their faith behind. That's circumstantial faith. My faith changes based on my circumstances. Everything's going great. I believe one way. Things start to get tough in life. Circumstances are different. I believe differently. A lot of people live with circumstantial faith. Another kind of faith that people hear that's not real faith is earned faith. Earned faith says, if I work hard enough, if I pray hard enough, then maybe I can attract the attention of the creator of the universe and he will move in my direction. If I just beg him enough, if I just get on my knees and I ask and I journal, I download the Bible app and I have a couple different versions and I don't miss church, I'll even come when it's at an inconvenient time, I'll show up, I'll be here, and maybe, just maybe, God will lean in my direction and give me what I'm hoping for. That's earned faith. 
Circumstantial faith will fail us. Earned faith will wear us out. If you've ever been stuck in a religious system that was all about earned faith, you know how tiring that can be. Never know where you stand with God. Think if I try harder, he'll love me more. If I don't try, he doesn't love me anymore. And if you've ever been there, and I would imagine some of you have in that system that that's how God is presented, where you have to earn his favor and earn your faith, it wears you out. And then there's another faith that I've heard people talk about, and that's rational faith. I'm only going to believe it if it makes sense. If I can understand it in my head, then I'm there. If I can't, then forget it. And for those people, the struggle is getting faith from head to heart. Rational faith stays in your head, and rational faith will harden us to God's voice. So how do we define faith? If it's not based on our circumstances, if it's not based on trying, if it's not just based on our intellectual understanding, then what is the biblical definition of faith? That's why we're going through this series for the next five weeks to look at, well, what does the Bible have to say about what faith really is? And I'm going to give you the definition. You're going to be able to write it down, the definition we're going to use in just a couple of minutes. But before I do that, I want to challenge you as I go through this message today, I want you to let it go through the lens of whatever you're struggling with in life, whatever decision, whatever issue, whatever thing that you're dealing with in life, Listen to this message through that. It's a relational issue, if it's a physical issue, emotional, whatever it is. Let it go through, put it through that lens as I talk about faith today. So to find the simple definition, we're just going to look for the next five weeks at one chapter in a New Testament book called Hebrews. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. It's yours to keep. You can take that with you. You can also borrow it. You can also read along on the screen. All the scriptures are up there as well. So the book of Hebrews, most of the time when we talk about a book in the Bible, it's in the New Testament, but most of the time we talk about the person who wrote it. Well, scholars don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. They know it was a follower of Christ. They know it was one of his disciples, but they're not really sure. Some say Luke, some say the Apostle Paul. But what is sure is that this book is addressed to people who were formerly Jewish people and they met Jesus or they heard about Jesus and they agreed that Jesus was the way their sins could be forgiven. And they accepted him as the Messiah. When they accepted Jesus as the Messiah, part of the message would have been, accept Jesus, he forgives your sins, he came, he died, he was buried, he resurrected so you can be forgiven and not only live in heaven for eternity, but live with heaven right here on earth. The same message you would hear today. So they believe that. But part of the message would have been, he's coming back soon. They said that a lot. You read that a lot in the New Testament. Now, if he was coming back soon, 2,000 years ago, it's got to be sooner now. I mean, it'd be more accurate now to probably say soon. But when they heard soon, they thought, well, next Thursday or tomorrow. And that's what these new believers started to think. Jesus is coming back soon. And when he didn't, they start to get discouraged. And they also start to fall back into their old ways, which is way more of an earned faith than anything else. And so they start slipping back into those old habits, those old traditions, the old ways of trying to earn their way to God. 
And so whoever wrote Hebrews wrote to this group of people to say, let me reassure you what the object of your faith needs to be. So he starts out the book in Hebrews chapter 1 saying this, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. He's letting them know everything he's going to talk about has to do with Jesus, with God's son, who is heir of all things. And he was actually the creator that you read about in the book of Genesis. And he's letting them know, even though when we talk about God, that can sometimes sound generic, he's pointing everything he's about to say towards Jesus Christ, which is the same thing we'll do in this series. When we talk about having faith with God, the foundation of all of that is on a person, Jesus Christ. Faith is, faith is not a thing. Faith is not an action. Faith is a person, Jesus Christ. And that's what this whole series is about. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. So if you fast forward to chapter 11, the writer starts to talk about what faith really is. And here's, here's what it says. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. I mean, does that clear it up? Like, oh, got it now. Get to lunch early. I get it. It's not, faith is not just hope. We use faith sometimes when we're really talking about hope, you know, like say, I have faith that my team's going to win. Well, that's saying you wish they would, you hope they will. I have faith that I'm going to get a race. Well, you're saying you hope, but faith is several steps past hope. And what this verse is saying is faith is believing in something that you cannot see and being assured of it. And so for this series, Here's the definition that we're going to use, the very simple biblical definition of faith. Faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he's promised to do. That's beyond my feelings. That's beyond my circumstances. That's beyond my effort. And sometimes even beyond my understanding is having confidence that God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he said he would do. So he goes on to say, after he says, uh, you, this is how you have faith in things you don't see. You have confidence in things you can't see. Then he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. And he's talking about everybody that came before that. And he's going to go on and talk about many different Old Testament biblical characters that exercise their faith. But he's also just going to lump in and say, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of people. And he's saying they had belief in something they never saw. He says, that's what they were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. He's saying, it's by faith that you understand the universe was formed at God's command. Why do we have to do that by faith? Well, who was there? Anybody there? None of us were there. If you're a college kid or a high school student and you have a teacher or professor uh, talking about some theories of how we got here, um, theories maybe how we evolved from one thing to another thing uh, and looking at you know, evolution and Big Bang and all that stuff, however they explain it, whatever bent that professor or teacher tends to have, even what they're teaching, try this, say, you're a great person of faith. If, you're t if you believe that this just kind of happened and 
gases and all the scientific ways they would explain it, and you believe that this thing uh, started moving around and wasn't slimy anymore and became this thing, uh, that's a lot of faith. Now, they're going to say, no, that is not faith. You say, respectfully, were you there to see it? No. Well, then it's faith. So really, you and I aren't that much different. I just happen to have my faith in the fact that an all-knowing, all-powerful God created everything that we see. Your faith is in whatever you can figure out and understand. So both are faith. So try that. And so what the writer is saying is faith is having confidence in something that you can't see. That might be hard for you, but you do it all the time. Anybody flown lately? Anybody gone for a flight? You get on the plane, you probably don't knock on the cockpit door and say, can I see your credentials? Because I need to be relatively confident that you're going to get me from here to my destination. And you're going to be able to maneuver around anything that might be dangerous. And you're going to be able to land this thing without crashing it. I need to know that. Well, I've never done that. I just get on and go. I assume somebody that knows a lot more than I do makes sure the pilot is properly trained. But I didn't see it happen. So we do that all the time. We put our faith in things that we can't see. When I used to work with college kids, we were on this retreat one time down the Gulf Coast, and, and we passed this big bungee jump tower, 60 feet high, six stories up. And one of them said, Donnie, let's go bungee jump. And I was like, sure, I've never done that before. Let's give it a try. And so I get up there, I'm getting all strapped in. I'm looking at the guy strapping me in, and I'm thinking, 15, 16 years old. And I'm thinking, I wonder, like, what do you have to do you know, to, to, to get the job of strapping people in when they bungee? And I asked him when I stepped over to the edge, and he's got me strapped in, and I look down, and I see that big pillow, and I said, well, that, you know, if something happens, will that catch me? Will I be okay? And he goes, no, that'll just let you have an open casket. And I was like, all right, well, let's go, you know. So I did it. I did it like many times that day because it was so fun. But I had faith that this kid somehow, somewhere, somebody had taught him how to strap somebody in so they don't hit the pillow at the bottom. And they get to do this ride and have a little bit of fun. Faith can be really hard for people that really want control. Any control freaks in the room? You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody sitting beside a control freak? You can raise your hands. That'll be fun. Some of us deal with this idea that if we have more things in control, then life will go better for us. I struggle with control. And so therefore, when it comes to faith, having confidence in things I can't see, sometimes it's difficult. And one of the ancients that this writer of Hebrews is, is mentioning to us actually took action in his life, in a bunch of people's lives, based on something that he couldn't see. So there's an element of faith that involves us releasing control and embracing uncertainty. That's a big element of our faith, releasing control and embracing uncertainty. One of the agents that we're going to talk about is a guy named Joshua. Joshua is a character in the Old Testament who was a leader of the nation of Israel. He helped lead them into the promised land that God had promised them 40 years before, promised them when they started their journey 40 years before. Originally, Moses led them. 
They made some mistakes. A journey that should have taken a month took 40 years. And finally, they've gotten through all their issues. And God is finally ushering them into this promised land that's going to be this utopia, this wonderful place, no slavery anymore. They're going to be free. And they're getting ready after a lot of battles and a lot of issues. They're getting ready to move into the promised land. There's only one problem. They're on one side of the river. The promised land's on the other side of the river. And it just happens to be at flood stage. Here's what the book of Joshua chapter 3 says. Now it was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. So there's a raging river between all the Israelites and the promised land. So they have to figure out how are we going to get to the promised land with this raging river? If you go up against a raging river, just you and the river, you're going to lose. How many times have we ha- do we have to see on the news the newscaster saying, hey, if water is running across the road, don't drive across the road. Stop. But some idiot in a four-wheel drive every time will say, my truck can do it, you know, and they're, they're go, they go. And then they get in the middle and what happens? The truck goes down the stream and then a helicopter has to come or they drown or they have to swim to shore and they barely make it. All because they ignored the warning. So these Israelites are looking at this river. No doubt they're thinking, we can't get across that. There's no way. There may be things in your life right now you're thinking, I can't get through this. There's no way we're going to get through this. How's our marriage going to get through this? How's our finances going to get through this? How am I emotionally going to get through this thing in my life? They were thinking the same thing. Here's a river. There's the promised land. 40 years, all this effort, and we're stuck. How are we going to do it? It's recorded a little later in the book of Joshua, the next few verses. It says, But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. So earlier in the story, Joshua had told them, Look, when you get to the river, he didn't tell them it was going to be at flood stage. He just said, When you get to the river, just step in it and just go on across. And they got to be thinking, what do you mean? How are we going to get through this? Well, here's what happened. They stepped in the river. God stopped the water up the stream and they walked across. And it goes on to say, the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed until the whole nation completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, what looked like a raging river and seemed to be impossible, all of a sudden became possible. How could they do that? Was it because they got on their knees and they just prayed really, really, really hard? And they just said, God, please turn your ear in our direction and stop this water. Was it because of that? Was it because they understood, well, if we step in there, God's bound to do something. I just logically, he's done stuff before. Probably he will. Let's just do it. Or did they just go? They just stepped in. At Joshua's leading, He just said, go, put your feet in the water and go, and they did. In spite of their fears, in spite of it seeming humanly impossible to cross. How could Joshua do that? Because he had faith and confidence that God was who he he said he was, and he would do what he promised to do. And the same thing for us. Faith is the confidence that God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he's promised to do. And here's what God had promised earlier to Joshua. 
God said these words to him. No one will be able to stand up against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail or abandon you. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Of course, he has faith and confidence that God's who he says he is. And God's going to do what he promised to do. And so they stepped in the water and the water stopped upstream outside of their vision, outside of what they could see. And if I'm going to have faith and it's going to work in my life, I have to understand this. You you might want to write this down. God is always at work upstream in my life. He's always working somewhere that you can't see. There's always something that he's doing and wants to do in your life that you don't know about. You just see the raging river right in front of you. But God's upstream making something happen. And he's just waiting for you to take the step. Now, that means that if you're like me, you have to release control. I have several spiritual mentors in my life, uh, much older men, and this one guy, Earl, who's, gosh, probably mid to late 80s by now. I call him up one day and I said, Earl, I feel like things are out of control. And he paused and said, praise the Lord, your best years are ahead of you. And he went on to say, when you feel like you're out of control, it means it gives God the perfect opportunity to be in control. And he said, Donnie, the moment you realize that, your best years are ahead when you stop controlling and understand that God's at work in ways you can't understand. And so what does that mean? It means that God is out there somewhere working on the raging river that's in your life. You may not feel it. You may not know it, but you can have confidence that he's who he says he is and he's going to do what he promised to do. So what does he promise to do? He's promised to work in our life. He's promised to forgive us. He's promised to give us a second chance. He's promised to be out there helping us get through whatever comes in life. Sometimes that means God will give us answers and we'll understand why and it'll be clear what path we're supposed to take. And sometimes he will walk through us, with us through the pain so we can feel his presence and we can have comfort and peace and grace in the middle of something bad that might be going on in our life. Now, why is it one, sometimes one and sometimes the other? I don't know. But I do know that we can have 100% confidence knowing that God's who he says he is and he's going to do what he said he would do. So if you're facing a big decision, just this morning somebody came up and said, hey, I love that message on faith, but I got this big decision in my life. I got like four career options. Which one should I take? And I said, well, I don't know if God's going to tell you which one of those four to take. Well, how do I decide? And I said, you need to decide you're going to be God's man first. You're going to have faith in God first. All four of them might be right. All four of them may be great. They all four may stink. I don't know. Got to figure that out. But what you have to understand first is, I'm going to be God's man. I'm going to be God's woman. And I may not have this clear path that he says, here, go from point A to point B. But what I will have is his presence in my life as I express the confidence that I have in him for who he is and for him to do what he promised he was going to do. So whatever you put in the blank at the beginning of the message, when I said, if I had more faith, blank what happened in my life. Now that you've heard a more biblical definition of faith, that it's confidence in God, what he says he'll do, 
and the promises that he'll, he'll fulfill that he's made, what would you put in the blank? What, what would you put in the blank? If I understood faith better, blank would happen in my life. Now, that's different for all of us. Maybe a relationship all of a sudden would get better. Maybe you would have a little bit of more direction as you release control and move into the future and stop worrying so much. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he promised to do. So faith is not a formula. It's not about our circumstances. It's not about trying harder, asking for more, or figuring it out. Faith is simply confidence in God and who he is and his promises. And all of that is based not on a thing or an idea. It's based on a person, Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, if you don't have a relationship with him, then there's an element of faith that you will never get, you'll never understand, you'll never get to enjoy. But those of you who know Christ, you know the answers that he brings in life and the comfort that he gives us in life. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this biblical definition of faith and how it relates to several things that are talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at faith in our finances. What does that look like? I'm not going to tell you which week, so you you can't skip. Then we're going to look at What does it look like if I apply faith to my family? This confidence in God, if I apply that to the way I lead or operate within my family? What if I apply it to conflict or decisions or the future? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. I hope you can come back and bring a friend with you as we journey through Hebrews chapter 11. Read through it a couple of times and see what it does for your faith. As over and over, people are commended for trusting in something they can't see because they know that God is somehow at work out there in ways they don't understand. May you feel the confidence to do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of Joshua. Thank you for the encouraging words that we can trust in you, even though we can't always feel you or see you. We trust that you're at work in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.